Hello everyone and welcome to episode 293 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre where you'll find an awesome writing community and writing courses and useful resources. I'm here with my co-host Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adabad Cipher book series. How are you, Al? I'm Okay. Thanks, Val. That's good. That's yep. good. What's been happening in our world? Um, what's been happening in our world? Well, I've been doing some writing, which has been great. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the very interesting things about it is, as you may know, because I have been so busy, um, writing my current manuscript has been a bit more disjointed than mm-hmm. usual. And it has really felt quite disjointed, like it's been 500 words here, 200 words there, you know, that kind of thing. And so I was kind of got to the point where I was starting to think, what, is, what am I doing here? Like I actually got to the point where I thought, am I actually creating a cohesive document on mm-hmm. any level? Um, so I decided that I would spend some time reading over what I've actually written. And I was quite excited to discover that I had created a cohesive document. There mm-hmm. are things in there that I had forgotten <laughs> Forgotten. forgotten entirely that I had written. Uh-huh. Um, so that was interesting. But, yeah, overall, very um, very cohesive. So that, it's an interesting thing. Your writing brain is actually a whole separate part of your of your, oh, um, yeah. of your mind, I think, and it just seems to hold things together in a funny way that yes. you don't even recognise is happening at the time. So Hopefully. you're feeling pleased with yourself? Oh, I wouldn't say pleased with myself. I would just say relieved. Okay, that's good. <laughs> take that yeah I'm feeling relieved that um because I was starting to think that this was going to be like possibly the biggest edit in the history of the world by the time I kind of got to the end but um Mm. it's actually not as bad as I thought so that's you know and and for me not as bad as I thought Mm. is probably okay Oh, well yeah. done you. Yeah, like, listen to me. I'm just, I'm like, it's all fireworks and sparklers, isn't it? I'm just yes. leaping out of my skin <laughs> with excitement, but probably okay is, is pretty good as far as I'm concerned. Awesome. So that's what I've been doing. What about you? What have you been doing? What have I been doing? Um, I have, well, um, I wasn't going to mention this actually, but I think I will because I can't think of other things that I've been doing. <laughs> Okay. But, well, you know how I'm a big fan of creative journaling, kind of yes. like a version of Morning Pages from Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way, where yes. you write, where you basically have a stream of consciousness of writing and you just write. Hmm. Julia Cameron suggests in the morning, but I don't always do it in the morning. Sometimes I do it late at night. I just do it whenever. But it's where you put pen to paper and actually just write whatever comes out of your brain and you don't have to have any agenda it doesn't have to be fantastic you you do it with the knowledge that no one is going to read it except for you and it's such an incredibly useful way to clarify your thoughts and those thoughts could be anything from what you're going to write about even if you say I don't know what to write about my main character is stuck blah 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 you know just let it all kind of come out it can help you clarify whatever creative piece that you're working on But if you're not working on a particular thing, it helps you clarify just stuff in your life, in your brain, and stuff that you need to be prioritizing and spending your time on. And I'm so into this concept that I've actually created a series of creative journals. Oh. Uh, Yes, as in the actual physical blank notebooks, except they're not blank. On every single page, I've got an inspirational or motivational quote at the bottom Mm -hmm. to kind Mm -hmm. of keep your jade up. And it's got my artwork on the cover. Oh, how exciting. It's very exciting. So, so are you going to be, um, like, are these going to be available? Is this merch, Valerie? They, they will be available. I'm not sure exactly when. Maybe by the time this podcast comes out, they might be available over at ValerieKoo.com. How exciting. But yeah, I've designed them really specifically because one of the things also, one of the obstacles in in having a journal with you all the time and I think women will relate to this particularly is is your heavy handbag so Mm. I actually don't want a heavy you know a hardcover because it really weighs too much in my handbag I want something I designed something and I've been mucking around with a prototype for months now I've been I've designed something so that it feels like it's still hefty like it's a proper journal but it feels like nothing in your handbag 
and but it still looks good and stuff like that. So so clearly I'll be getting one. Yes. Oh, definitely. You'll be one of the first people to be sent them once they're out. And um, uh, yeah, so it's it's something that I've put a lot of thought into because I wanted something that you could literally carry it around everywhere. Like I went to Hugh Jackman the other night and I carried it there because it felt like nothing, you know what I mean? Not that I was taking notes during I was going to say, were you taking notes? No, because I was too busy looking at Hugh Jackman. Oh, my God. And his talent. Oh, we were looking at his talent. talent oh, my goodness. Definitely, <laughs> among other things, I was looking at his talent. It was so inspiring. He was amazing. I just, was he? Oh, it was so good. He's so good. How does one man be so talented? Let's move on to that. I mean. <laughs> I'm fascinated by that. Oh, I don't know. It's astounding. You do, meet, you do meet those people who just seem to be able to do all of the things. All the things. Don't you? I Incredible. Know. It's just, yes, very inspiring. But anyway, let's move on to, we want to give a big shout out to Lauren, Lauren Armbruster from Australia, because Lauren has kindly left us a review on iTunes called My Little Slice of Me Time. I like that. Mm. And uh, Lauren has said, I've been writing on and off for as long as I can remember, except the last year when I had my first babies, a delightful set of twins. Oh, congratulations, Congratulations, Lauren. Lauren. cute. I feared I would never find time or mojo to pen another word, and on my long drives to the city for my two days of adulting, I turned to podcasts for inspiration. Enter, so you want to be a writer. I listened to this purely by chance, and now I have not only started writing again, I am doing so with a renewed motivation and belief that I may actually one day become a writer with a capital W. I love sharing my much-needed me time with Valerie and Al, who give me the nudge I need every week to seize back my writing self, actually put finger to the keyboard, and just keep plunging forward, despite all of the few raw of young family life. Funny, motivating, charming, relevant, and a necessary compliment to my writing week. Thank you. Oh, well, thank, thank you, Lauren. I'm very thank excited you. to be part of your writing week, and I am absolutely taking my hat off to you of being able to manage twins, obviously, oh, adulting, writing, and all of those things. I have been where you are without the twin situation, yes. just with the two, two younger boys. kids. Yes. Um, but yeah, it takes a huge amount of discipline to be able to do it. Mm. And so if you've managed to get that happening in your routine, then you are so far ahead. It's amazing. Yes. So well, really well done. Absolutely. And thank you so much for taking the time to leave us a review on iTunes. Really appreciate it. It's just... We do. Um, yeah. If you have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it helps us in the rankings. It thank does. you again, Lauren. Let's move on to the world of writing and publishing this week, Al. Um, one of the other things I've been doing is that I went to Patty Miller's book launch over at Woo-hoo! Good Over and Dead. Yes. So her latest book is a memoir, The Joy of High Places. Now, the thing is... Patty, who is one of our teachers at the Australian Writers' Centre, she teaches life writing, she could write about a blade of grass and it yeah, would be she's mesmerising. Amazing. Yeah, you know? she is amazing. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to one of her beta readers and and and, um, and I, I just said to her, it's not as if it would be a chore to read one of Patty's <laughs> books because, you know, like I said, she could write about a blade of grass and it's just magical. So um, the joy of high places, we will be having a quick chat to Patty in an upcoming episode, but um, very, very good to go to the book launch and see. It was jam-packed, so many people from the literary world, but also lots of Patty students and um, her, her life writing students. And also if you're in Sydney, she uh, we've added an, an extra date for life writing, which ah. is coming up in November. So check out the Writer Centre website for that date because And you'll she, need to get in quick. Oh, you have to get in quick. Her dates get so, sell out. smashed. Yep. Yeah, like Early. just in seconds. So, you know, if yep. you if that's something you'd really like to do, get in quick because it's she has she has a brilliant name for life read, yes. uh, writing for a reason. So Absolutely. I would say. Yeah, get in I like to book about it as well. Yes, yes. Yep. All right. We have book week coming up. Oh my god. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> is uh, or the, the number of stressed out <laughs> uh, 
um, posts know. on Facebook from parents who are I just in bemoaning. all of the various things. Look, oh. you know, it's an interesting thing. I do understand it because it it does feel like just something else to do um, when it comes mm. to um, to the school program because it it's one of those things. I mean, I've been there. Both of my boys are now in high school, so unfortunately, my days of of book week parades. Um, with, that I have to actually create. I mean, it's kind of a fortunately and an unfortunately um, that I actually have to create uh, costumes for are, are over because they don't tend to do it in high school. Um, and I do understand as a parent the the, the pressure. Like, it's, not, it's not even a pressure. It's just like trying to find a last minute. There's always the thing where they don't tell you it's on and then you find out the night before that they want to be grug or they want to be, you know, they want to be some incredibly difficult character. So it's a matter of, I think, as a parent, you have to set expectations Mm. fairly low right from the start and make it clear that costumes can only be created by whatever is to hand because I think that that's the way forward. I think it's when you start. I remember there was this kid a few years ago, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was pre-podcast or whatever, if we talked about this, but I went to my boy's um, book week parade. And so my oldest son, book boy, has always loved a good book week parade. I mean, I don't think I'd get him into a Harry Potter costume these days, but back in the day, he was all over it. Like I remember he went as Sherlock Holmes in grade one, oh. much to the absolute hilarity of all the teachers and no, because no, he had this massive pipe and none of the kids had any idea who he was because, you know, of course they weren't, really doing much with Sherlock Holmes but he'd been reading them and my mum had given him this abridged book of of Sherlock Holmes stories so he was all over Sherlock Holmes like right from the start I remember that but we went to this um, parade a few years ago and Mm. there was this kid there and he was uh, Charlie you know from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory but he was Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator and the kid (laughs) was wearing a Great Glass Elevator so he had this full he had this full outfit on and then this amazing kind of cube made of wire and I don't know plastic that he wore around him um for the you know for the parade and stuff and he was fully had his own great it was amazing but my advice would be don't start with that in grade one because then you've got another six years of of having to create these incredible costumes um so yeah we've always gone by the by the um go by what's handy but yes. I my, my advice and I'm going to repeat this because we do this every year my advice is to get yourself a cloak yes pick up a cloak in any right. color that you can think of boy or girl doesn't matter yeah. get a cloak and you can be pretty much so many like, there's a, a, so many things that you so can many. be just with a cloak and you've just got to basically change the color of the pants or whatever underneath mm. it and an um, accessory so yeah, the accessory, like, you know, a sword or a pen or, or whatever, mm. you know. So that's always been my advice, get yourself a cloak, and I and I stand by that to mm. this very day. Um, but I also think, like, Megan Daly from Children's Books Daily, she's all over Book Week, right? So yes. she's the author of Raising Readers. She's a teacher librarian. She's been blogging um, about children's books for years. And so she's done a post on her um, on her website, which is all about, book week it's got ideas for displays it's got ideas for costumes it's got I'm going to put the link in the show notes she's got like every possible thing you could ever possibly imagine Mm. but she also wrote on her Facebook page um, a little while ago and I thought it was a great post because it was in response Um, she's in a lot of groups there's a lot of parents it was in response to you know parents um, talking about how difficult book week is and costumes and stuff and her, her point her plea was to try and look at it in a positive light because it is the one week of the whole year and possibly that one day of the whole year at your school, at your primary school, where readers, where books, where those things are celeb- like actively, enthusiastically celebrated. Yeah. It's about the books. It's about the reading. These are the kids often who, you know, they're not doing the sport, they're not doing the whatever, mm. but they're reading and they're loving it and this is their moment. You know, they get to get out there and um, have their costume and be chuffed with themselves for being there, representing their favourite book, their favourite character, whatever it is that they're doing. So I, I get that for, like, I've got two kids, right? I've got one, as we've talked, one who who loves Sherlock Holmes in grade one. I've got <laughs> one who wanted to wear his soccer uniform. Wow. Because he doesn't like dressing up, never liked dressing up. So he just wanted to go in his soccer uniform or whatever every single year. And you know what? I'm all right with that. I said to him, as long as you can bring me a book, I need a book with a soccer player in it, then 
that's you done. You yeah. can go as a soccer. And that's what he did every single right. year. We managed to find a different book that featured a soccer player <laughs> and he went as a soccer player every year. And that's okay. I'm all over that. That's fine. There's a whole bunch of characters that are contemporary where you can just wear jeans and a and a hoodie. So there's a guy in Conspiracy yes. 365, jeans and a hoodie and a backpack. Great. And you're there. And and that's you done, you know, wear the hoodie. So mm. there's there's a lot of different ways to go about it. You don't have to have the great glass elevator stress out. to enjoy book week. Um and of course I would love it if your kids would go as, you know, Quinn from the Matt yes. Chronicles or Gabe or Mary or Gwyn from the Adaban Cipher. Mm. And to make it easy, I have I've got posts, they have got different ideas of how to be these characters mm. and I am going to put the link in the show notes because, again, a lot of my characters, it's about a cloak and a belt and a boot. So, you know, if you can pull those things out, then you can be um, anyone you want really. I think Absolutely. it's amazing. Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah. of course, you can find the show notes and those links to Alison's uh, instructions uh, over at soyouwantobearwriter.com.au. But I think that's a great idea. Go as Quinn or Gabe or Mary, Mary or one, one of you know, yeah. those characters. And, and if all else fails, go as a soccer player. Go as a soccer player. <laughs> or, or go with what is at hand. I remember once, this wasn't for book week and we were adults. Um, and uh, sorry if I'm going to embarrass you, Kim, but I went to, with Kim, very who is all-consuming online, um, to sing along a sound of music and um, you had to dress up. I went as a as a, a novice, nun, and um, she obviously went with what was at hand and having children, she had crepe paper at home. So she wrapped the bottom half of her in green crepe paper. She wrapped the top half of her and she had to, she caught the train there or something. Anyway, caught, um, <laughs> wrapped, wrapped the top half of her. Dedication. I know. In red crepe paper. And then she cut out these sort of blue um, spots or not blue blobs and stuck them on her top half on the red crepe paper. Guess what she was? I have no idea. Raindrops on roses. <laughs> that is fantastic. You know what? I would love to, if you're in the Facebook group, if you're in our Facebook community, the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community, and you have got a good story about yeah. a last-minute backup just to hand costume, yeah. please share it with us. Pictures are encouraged. Absolutely. and just, can, It can be on you or it can be on, you know, a child with permission, whatever. And if you aren't in the Facebook group, go join. It's free to join. Yeah, it's our join. listener community. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook. Yeah. And what else is happening, Al? Uh, I don't know, Val. You're going to be travelling. You're going to be going to Queensland. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Wait a minute. Hold everything. In the middle of book week, I am going to Queensland for the first Your Kids Next Regis. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm lucky I've got you. Otherwise, <laughs> I wouldn't be going anywhere. Um, of the first ever Your Kids Next Read Facebook group yes. um, meetup and live event. So it's like a um, – I'm giving you a week's notice here so that you can, you know, in case you haven't got your tickets yet, you can get there. Um, but we are hoping to see you. It's kind of like a book week event for grown-ups. Mm. We're going to talk about kids' books. We're going to discuss, you know, reluctant readers, advanced reader, doesn't kind of matter what kind of reader you have in your life. And if you're writing books for kids, it's a great opportunity to just come and hear what parents are looking for, to come and sort of discuss, you know, talk to other people, meet other authors, there'll be other authors there. Um, so, you know, I'd love to see you. It's in Brisbane. I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, it's the Your Kids Next Read live event and meetup um, in Brisbane on the 21st of August. And I would love to see you there, even though I forgot for one moment that I was going. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be a great event. All right. So let's move on to our giveaway this week. This book has been taking oh, the media by storm and we will be uh, having an interview with the author in an upcoming episode. But we have three copies of the book Fake, F-A-K-E, mm -hmm. Fake by Stephanie Wood. Now, when Stephanie Wood meets a sweet, sophisticated, this is a, a true story. When Stephanie Wood meets a sweet, sophisticated man who owns land and businesses, she embarks on an exhilarating romance with him. She also becomes increasingly beset by anxiety at the lavish three-act plays he offers her in the form of excuses for frequent cancellations and no-shows. When she ends the relationship, Stephanie switches back on her journalistic now, so she's a journalist, and covers uncovers a story of mind-boggling duplicity 
creativity and manipulation. She also finds she's not alone, that the world is full of smart, sassy women who have suffered the attention of lies, cheats, narcissists, fantasists, and phonies, men with dangerously adept abilities to deceive. So we have one of th- three copies to that you could win. Just go to writercenter.com.au slash win and follow the instructions. Entries close on the 19th of August. That's writercenter.com.au slash win. Now, Al. Yeah. Are you ready for the word of the week? I'm so ready, Val. Good, because I'm about to tell it to you. It anyway, is... <laughs> it wouldn't matter if I wasn't ready, would it? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it is euphony. Euphony, that's E-U-P-H-O-N-Y, euphony. Isn't it a record label name? Oh. Euphony? Euph- <laughs> is it? Did I, I make it up? Know. Maybe it is. Okay. All right. Okay, well, it might sound like it's a phony aspect of Europe, but it's not. According to the Macquarie Dictionary, it means agreeableness of sound, pleasing effect to the ear, especially of speech sounds as uttered or as combined in utterance. Euphony. There you go. I'll be looking for that one. Has anyone used it? Please let us know in the Facebook group. All right, let's move on to our writer-in-residence this week. We're chatting to Tony Park. Now, Tony Uh is such a prolific author. He has worked as a reporter, a press secretary, a PR consultant. He's worked in Afghanistan doing um, public affairs for the Australian Army Reserve. He is in love with Africa and has had has had about 16 novels set in Africa. And uh, the latest is Ghosts of the Past. And so we have a chat to Tony Park. Thanks so much for joining us today, Tony. My pleasure. Great to be on the program. Now, congratulations on your latest book, Ghosts of the Past. For readers who haven't picked it up yet, can you tell us what it's about? Yeah, it's a thriller. Like my um, previous 16 books, it's set in Southern Africa. It's a little bit different, and this one switches between two time zones, the past, hence Mm. the name, and the present. Uh, It's based around a real-life story of a young Australian who went to fight in the Boer War in South Africa in 1900, but stayed on and got dragged into a conflict in the neighbouring country of German Southwest Africa, where the local Indigenous people had risen up against what was a pretty oppressive German colonial regime. The future part of the story is the descendants of the fictitious version of that real-life character trying to find out what happened to him, the woman he loved, and a missing treasure of gold. Awesome. Now, did you? How did the idea for this book form? Did this? Did the true story aspect of it in? You know, did you discover that, and that inspired the rest of the story, or did it come about some other way? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's interesting how ideas for novels come <laughs> up, where we get them from. I, I was actually. Uh, writing one of my previous books, um, a book called Empty Coast, which is set in Namibia, in modern-day Namibia. And to tell you the truth, I don't do a lot of book research. I I more like to immerse myself in the countries and the places that I'm writing about when I'm traveling around Africa. But because there were some historical elements to that book, I read a book called The History of Namibia. And in that book was a one-line mention, literally a one-line mention about the fact that there was an Australian guy and by the name of Edward Presgrave who had joined the Nama people of southern Namibia and fought alongside them, alongside a charismatic guerrilla leader called Jacob Marengo during the Nama Wars um, of 1904 to 1907. That was it. And, of course, being an Australian who spends a lot of time in Africa, I thought, there has to be a book in that. Uh, and then I forgot about it for a couple of years. I finished that book that I was working on and then I, I, I generally don't know what I'm going to write about for my next novel until I'm just about finished the one before. Uh, and I was actually planning a trip to southern Namibia and I thought I should have a look and see if I can find out about that guy. And it took me a bit of search. I couldn't even remember his name. So I Googled it. I don't use the internet a lot for research either, but I did Google this and found out that in the intervening couple of years, uh, an academic from Sydney's Macquarie University, Dr. Peter Curzon, had had read the same book that I had while he was um, actually teaching at the University of Cape Town and decided he would research this guy, Edward Lionel Presgrave. And he went off and wrote 
a book, not a big book, but a book that he self-published about the life of this guy, Edward Prescott, and the fascinating times that he was involved in. And to cut a long story short, I tracked Peter down, met him, had lunch with him. He said, you should write a novel about this guy, to which I said, I hope that's what you would say. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here we are. Fantastic. So the thing is, you've written 16 other books set in Africa. You're obviously very prolific, but you're obviously fascinated with Africa. You spend so much time there. Where did this come from in, you know, way back when it first started? Uh, from my wife. actually. <laughs> she's, right. uh, she's not from South Africa or Zimbabwe or other countries that I write about, but um, uh, we had travelled uh, quite a bit when we were younger around Asia and Europe. And in 1995, my wife, Nicola, said to me, we're going to Africa for a holiday, to which I said, great, sure, fantastic. And uh, I'd never had any great desire to visit the continent. I was quite excited, quite happy. Um, and we set off on what was supposed to be a once-in-a-lifetime safari holiday around South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Botswana. But it turned out to be anything but. Something happened on that first trip, and I'm still hard-pressed to work out what it was, whether it was mm -hmm. the people or the wildlife or the scenery or the cultures or the history or something. But, but we got hooked. We got grabbed by this continent, and, and it kind of lured us in, and we – decided probably before the end of the first week of that holiday that we would have to come back. This would not be a once-in-a-lifetime trip. And, and so we did. We went back the year after and the year after. We went back every year for the last 24 years, yeah. except for a year when I went to Afghanistan with the army, but that's another story. Uh, and, yeah, so we got hooked on the continent, and it, it didn't happen straight away, but around about that time and a couple of years later, I was starting to get really serious about trying to write, which was something I'd always wanted to do. And and eventually the two coincided where I got the inspiration for the first book I wrote that was published, which was set in Africa. And my publisher at Pam McMillan said, well, you can write the Africa books if you like. And I said, well, so here I am, <laughs> 17 wow. books. Wow. Uh, yeah. So just, I mean, obviously you're a veteran author now and extremely experienced, but can you just take us back, just a very quick potted history of your career, but also take us back to that first book on what you were doing at the time and how you got that first book written and published? Yeah, I, I mean, I, since I was a little kid, the only thing I ever wanted to do was write a novel, particularly to, to write fiction. Uh, it's not that easy as you know to wake up one day and say right I'm going to write a novel so I think your life experiences help and we get there eventually uh, I've worked as a journalist and I've worked in public relations and uh, as I was approaching 40 I, I, I think I, dis I discovered what I, I, I guess it will resonate with a lot of people there's a couple of big obstacles to writing a novel and they're time and mm -hmm. having time to write a book of course and a place not just a, a place to write, but a place that you want to write about. And I, I'd been lacking both those things. So I quit work to give myself time with the help of my wife, who basically gave me six months. And I wrote a manuscript, uh, but I, that manuscript never went anywhere. It failed. And I think the reason it failed is because I probably made every mistake that a novice writer could possibly make. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote a book set in the Outback in Australia. I had never been to the Outback. <laughs> I, I said, so I didn't write about what I knew. I wrote a book set in the Outback because I thought people overseas might want to buy it. <laughs> Another great mistake. And I, I read a couple of textbooks about writing and they both said you have to plot. You know, you have to know your characters in advance. You have to have your plot all worked out in advance and your chapter breakdown. So I wrote like that. Mm. And I found that I'd been writing, you know, for 20-odd years as a journalist and in PR. I found this the hardest, most frustrating, most agonizing six months of my <laughs> writing career because it was all so counterintuitive to me. And that book went nowhere and it failed, uh, justifiably so. But it was an interesting learning experience because, as I said, we started traveling to Africa. And on our third trip to Africa, I'd, I'd gone back to work as a full-time part-timer. Mm -hmm. uh, quite despondent having mm. failed because not only did I, I – I knew that manuscript was no good. Um, and, and so when we went on our third trip to Africa, we, we were on a long trip. It was about four months. And, and my wife's a great planner. 
when it comes to holidays. But on this trip, she was quite happy, like I was, to say, let's not have a plan. Let's go wherever we want to. And I started writing another book on that trip. And I didn't have a plot. And I didn't know what the characters were. I thought, why would I want to write a book whose middle and ending I already knew? I would no sooner want to do that than I'd want to read a book whose middle and ending I knew. So I thought, why can't I just make it up as I go along? And make up the characters that went along. So that first book that got published, it's a book called Far Horizon, is set on a fictitious tour around Southern Africa with a bunch of tourists. That, that If you read that book, you would pretty well trace exactly the path of that four-month trip that we took around Africa. And so I made the story up every day. And just as I didn't know where we would be camping or staying the next day, so too did I not know what the characters would be doing the next day. And I just... With no formal training, I'd never studied creative writing or anything yeah. like that. I became, you know, what's known as a pantser, someone who yes. writes the seat of their pants. I didn't even know there was such a thing. And I, I didn't know you could do that. But I found writing that way was, it, it seemed intuitive. It was fun more than anything else. I really enjoyed just making the story up one day at a time, one page at a time. And it must have shown in the final product because I was happy with it and with my wife read it with a bit of help. I, I, I got published by the first publisher I sent it to. Off wow. the, so and I have was, you continued in that fashion? Have you continued pantsing to the ex- same level? Exactly. I, I have. And Really? Uh, I, I probably learned more along the way that, you know, I can't even review the previous day's work, let alone the previous chapter. So I don't review anything as I write. I just start with a premise and I just go from there from the premise. I make up the people, the plot, the characters, everything as I go along. And uh, I just have to trust myself that it's going to work each time. And um, touch wood, it's, I haven't prayed to the normal, you know, um, uh, concerns and worries and, you know, <laughs> self-doubt that people sometimes go through along the way. I never think I'm going to have enough to finish. I never think it's going to be good enough. I quite often can't think of the endings. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I think I think as writers, we've got to learn what works for all of us. I think it's good to have a bit of instruction and a bit of inspiration and to learn from others. But only you will know what's going to work best for you. So, yeah, I write every book exactly the same. Wow. It also comes to the things like the research and that. Same as that first book, I write on location so my first draft I really have to be wherever I'm writing because I still find this is possibly one of the few things that helps having worked as a journalist is is that they teach you to observe you know you're a trained observer as a journalist so if I'm in the place that I'm writing about I'm able to capture you know not only the the scenery but also the current affairs the people the way people speak you know the way they look the way they act uh, and i just find that that formula that i stumbled upon still works seven books later yeah so you don't review anything that you've written the day before are you ever tempted because you'd want to remind yourself oh did he walk through that door or that door or whatever yeah that's a very good question so i will say now that no <laughs> I do not ever, and I have to stop myself from looking back because the main reason, Valerie, I know is if I did, I would never move forward. I would just become so, I would agonize over it and I'd be, you know, spend time trying to rewrite and do, so I know that I can't do it. The the way I avoid having to, it's a simple trick that I picked up, I think, from um, that great book on writing by Stephen Mm. King, is that I never end my day's quota at the end of a chapter. Um, and I try as far as possible to stop mid-paragraph, mid-sentence. <laughs> so it's just an easy trick, easy trick, you know, easy hack. If you like, you wake up the next day and you just, oh, there's that sentence. I don't have to read back more than two or three words. Now, of course, the risk and the problem, it's not a risk, it's actual reality <laughs> of writing this way is when you get to the end of your first draft, it's very ropey, you know, characters mm. that started off with, blonde hair and blue eyes named Jane end up with brown hair and black eyes called John. (laughs) I'm editing one at the moment. I think, who is this person? I don't know who they are. They've kind of slipped in somewhere and I forgot about them and they've reappeared. So content is a big issue. First draft needs a lot of ironing out. But I just know it's probably more about my psyche than the way I write is that if I started going backwards, I would never go forwards again. And, And I wouldn't trust myself so yeah a lot of it's about trusting yourself and what works what works for you yeah and so you just said that um sometimes you sit there and you just don't know what the ending is going to be so have you ever been 
in a situation where you're really stuck and you really don't know what to do next because you know that you're towards the end of your manuscript and you need a proper ending, but you've got no idea because you've either written yourself into a corner or whatever. What do you do to make yourself push through? Yeah, yeah, that's also an excellent question. And it certainly does happen for sure. So when I say I don't do anything until I get to the end of the first draft, sometimes, like with the book I'm writing now for next year, I'm about 10 pages short. I, I, I am probably 10 pages from the ending and I allow myself to stop at that page. Now I'm doing my first edit of the manuscript but only literally with the last 10 minutes unknown because I'm not exactly sure who the baddie is, but I will hopefully know that by this stage. The other thing is my wife helps me a lot. She's one of these people who, you know, it drives me crazy. When she reads a book, she'll pick up a book, she'll read the first chapter, and then she'll go to the end. And I'm like, what? Mm. why are you doing that? You're not allowed to do that. And she says, I know how this book's going to end. And I said, well, why do you go to the end? She says, just to prove I'm right. You know? And I <laughs> And I say, well, were you right? She says, I'm always right. <laughs> and she is. But um, so what I try to do uh, when I'm writing is to, to try and fool her. Yes. One. <laughs> That's one of my great motivators. Uh, she's my first reader. You know? yeah. and, and what has happened, I'll tell you, a, a great example of this is I wrote a book a few years ago, and even if people do find her interested, it, it's not rocket science. Like, well, I'm, I'm, That's not too much of a spoiler. It's a it's a book with um, the female lead and there's two males and the males are twin brothers, right? Okay. You do not have to be a genius to work out that one of those brothers is going to end up with the girl and the other one is not. Sure. <laughs> and so I'm going through this book and I think I quite like both of these guys. They're very different. One's very sensitive and caring. One's a rough guy, you know, and I think, and she likes both of them, you know. And, and I got to the end. It's a big book. It's about 160,000 words and I probably got to 158,000. And... Uh, I couldn't make up my mind. I couldn't decide which brother she was going to end up with. So, and time was ticking away. I think it was actually on deadline. So I said, I've got to go through this. And I did my first edit and I gave it to my wife to read, to Nicola to read. And I thought, by the time she gets there, I'll have thought of the ending. Well, pretty soon into the book, probably after the second chapter, she says, I know which brother is going to get the girl, this brother. <laughs> And, and I said, you can't know that because I haven't decided. She said, yes, but I know you. I know which one you're going to pick. And so right then and there, I had my ending. I made it the other brother. <laughs> now, someone, I told that story once and someone said, do you think she was using reverse psychology? Yeah. And, Damn, maybe she was. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so after writing a billion books like you have, you must have some kind of system. So can you take me through – typically like a, a timeline or a time frame that you might, you know, do your first draft and then your edits. And also, obviously, while you're, you know, in the actual writing of the manuscript, what kind of routine you might have, whether that's a word count goal or whether that's a, a, a way you structure your day or whatever. Can mm. you go through those? Yeah, great question. So I have picked up a bit over the years because uh, if you want to write a book a year, not everybody does, but I mm. have to. Um, I've worked out, I've got to have that first draft written in six months. Okay. So I, I've got to have my first draft done in six months, ideally to a stage where I can show it to a couple of other people because no one reads my stuff apart from my wife reads it once I've finished or nearly finished the first draft. So six months to write the first draft. Uh, I find, and again, I think the way we write probably reflects more about us as people. Uh, I'm a great procrastinator. I know <laughs> I am. I know from having worked as a journo that I work best to deadlines, and I know that I work well when I'm in a routine. You know, uh, I don't work well in fits and starts. So my routine is, uh, and if I'm in Africa, this works around our day quite nicely. I try to work in the morning as far as possible when I'm a bit fresher. I do a little bit of. Facebooking, but it's social media to get me awake <laughs> in the morning and to procrastinate just a little bit. Uh, but my routine is uh, I have a word slash page count. So I have to write four pages a day, which, which depending on what program I'm using, tends to work out at around about 1,600 words a day. So I, I've got to do 1,600 words a day. And uh, I can't do less. And most importantly, I don't do more um, because what I've found over the years is, you know, some days you think, I'm on fire. Like yeah. I am this is gold and I can just write all day. Yeah. And 
And I've done that, and I've gone and done my first read, so I thought, you know what, this is rubbish. You know? <laughs> and so you don't always know. And there's other days where I'm struggling to do that four pages, that 1,600 words. It's like pulling teeth. And you know, sometimes I think, you know what, I'm just writing to do my quota so I can knock off today. And, and then I'll go back and reread some of that stuff, and you think it's not that bad. You know, so I, I think we can't, we have to trust ourselves, but we can't trust ourselves too much. So I think a bit of discipline is good in this process. And I find if I can do that, this is an ideal. If I can do that six days a week, it's not always possible with traveling and other commitments. Give yourself a day off, but mm. do that six days a week. And that 1600 words, my record for completing that is 45 minutes at one end of the spectrum. <gasps> Are you and, serious? Yep. 45 minutes. <laughs> At the other end of the spectrum, it's about nine or ten hours, okay? But however long it takes, I've got to do that. Then stop, mid-chapter, mid-sentence, mid-paragraph, never at the end of a chapter. If I finish at the end of a chapter, I write the first line of the next chapter just so that I'm not confronted with that blank page. And then I find that if I can if I can get a good workable version of that manuscript, uh, I ideally get it to the publisher within that six-month deadline, but that's you're probably talking about another month on top of that. Uh, that allows time for their production and editing processes. So uh, I think uh, the, the, whether or not you, you have to meet a, a deadline, I, I do think a, from a routine, certainly a routine helps me. Now, of course, that's not always possible to do six days a week, but that 1,600 words or four pages at a time, I, I, do stick, I do stick to that. And I know myself, at least I think I know, that the closer I am, to being in that routine, not necessarily the better it will be, but the easier it will be for me to work. I don't find writing difficult. I love it too much mm. to find difficult. But I think, you know, we have good days at work and bad days at work. When you, think, have, when, when you write it in 45 minutes, do you knock off for the rest of the day? Sure I do. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'm, doing, I'm working to my own little deadlines about going to a barbie or going to a pool. Yeah. We, have, we have a nice life when we're living in Africa. We quite often... Uh, we'll get up early in the morning and, and we live in a house on the edge of the Kruger National Park in South Africa in a game reserve. And uh, we can go for a drive in the National Park, go looking at animals and we'll go see lions and elephants and leopards and, and things like that. And so uh, that's a good that's a good thing to do first, I find, before work. So uh, if, you, if you can do something first thing in the morning, uh, like, for example, I run sometimes, uh, just to – Kind of, in the game reserve? No, not in the game reserve. No. <laughs> not allowed to run my wheel. Um, if I'm writing in Australia I, or even editing, I tend to go for a run uh, in the morning. Because if you can empty your head before you mm. start, it's good. I don't think sometimes, like if you're running or swimming or going for a drive in a game reserve, whatever you do, or doing the housework. <laughs> I, I do the housework when I'm at home in Australia. Um, I, I think I'm not necessarily thinking about what I'm going to write that day. But I'm kind of clearing the the slate, if you know what yeah. I mean. Like getting yeah. the brain kind of just ready to sort of start getting into the groove and start thinking. I've never thought about this, but this is a good question. So I'm thinking about this. <laughs> I think that's what I do, yeah. So you, it, Ghosts of the Past does have two timelines and one set in the past and one set in, in the present, obviously. So in terms of the characters in each of those timelines how did you because you said you you know you don't even know what's happening Mm. how did you write one timeline first and then the other timeline did you write them at the same time how did you arrange it (laughs) it's yeah it's tricky it, it, it is tricky, particularly for someone that does make it up as they go along, mm. like I do. I mean, this was a book that would have been much easier to write if it had been plotted. Mm. Um, I find what I was doing is I was writing large chunks in the one time zone. And then later on, when I did my first edit, I was then moving those chapters around. I only just got onto the program Scrivener a couple of years mm. ago. I'd never used it before, and I thought, I don't, don't need to. I just work in Word. But I did find that was very handy for a book like this where the editing is quite structural, where you have to break up chapters and move them around. So they're kind of, if you know the the you know, the corkboard sort of um, mm. elements 
Scrivener where you can move your chapters around visually is that that was handy. To tell you the truth, um, this um, this is a deep dark secret. <laughs> this, I started writing this book not in its current form, but I started writing this book when I was in Afghanistan in 2002 with the army right. and, my, and my nights and my odd hours off. I didn't get a lot of time off uh, because I had already submitted my first manuscript uh, to a publisher and they were considering it. It was taking quite a while, but they were, they were making some positive noises. So I started writing a second book set mm-hmm. in the Boer War, about an Australian in the Boer War. And I got my publishing deal when I was in the army in Afghanistan. My publisher sent me an email saying, open this, it's good news. And when I said first book, Far Horizon, she didn't even know I was in Afghanistan. Yeah. And she came back to me and said, great news, we're going to give you a deal and we're going to give you a two-book deal. And I went back to her and I said, fantastic, I'm 10,000 words into a book set in the Boer War. And she said, stop, we don't want it. Oh. <laughs> we've just done a book set in the ball war so write something else so i did i wrote something else and i shelved this book and it lived on an old computer for uh like what is that 17 15 years or 20 years or however long wow. years, 17 years and i finally found it because when i decided to write this book based on the life of edward Presgrave, mm-hmm. i thought there's going to be a ball war component in this book so i managed to find on this ancient you know, Commodore 64 type um, computer. Oh, my the, God. <laughs> the whole, like, treasure, buried treasure thing. I took it, Valerie, I took it to the computer guy, the backyard computer guy near where I live, and he ripped the entire contents of that hard drive off and put them on to, uh, like, a two-gigabyte memory stick or something Oh, like. my God. And on there was this 10,000 words that I'd written. And look, it wasn't all usable by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a start. And it had given me some characters that I had put a bit of time and effort and thought into. It was very ropey. Um, so I had a chunk there, and then I broke that chunk up and started writing the modern bit, and then i go back to the old bit and then the modern bit. But yeah, writing this way, I did find that I tended to get really into one time period and write a lot of the story then, and then I'd switch to the modern day. And then I'd go back and pass them. Then I, then I did use a bit of the old software magic to break up those chapters and, and realign them. So, yeah, it's, mm. that's, that's the true story behind this book. Wow. So, now, yeah. you've been a journo, a reporter, and also in, um, in public relations. I think you did some public affairs when you were in Afghanistan. So, you've been a journo, you've been in PR, and uh, so has the, um, the character in this book, Nick. He's a journalist and then he's moved into PR, in fact, in an office in Milson's Point, which is mm. where my office is, um, I know. overlooking the harbour. And I thought, oh, my goodness, he's describing my office. <laughs> I ran past your office and I thought, oh, I've been here in my book. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So how much is Nick based on you? Oh, <laughs> uh, look, you know, uh, the, the I think with all my characters, uh, pretty well all the characters in my books, they're they they're not based on people but their experiences and their backstory and their personal history and sometimes their motivations are very similar to real people's yeah Mm. definitely um i enjoy my time working in public relations nick's a bit sick of his time in public relations (laughs) Uh, i had a really good job in public relations which i left i write a book so that probably says something. (laughs) But no, uh, yeah, I think that's a good old adage, right, about what you know. And uh, I I think, you know, if you can draw on on personal experiences, uh, places you've worked, people you know, things you've felt, you know, like the older I get, I'm more interested in not what people do, but more how people think and what motivates them and and uh, the issues we face, the problems we all face in our lives. And I like to work more of, more of that side of, of, of things into my stories as well. So, yeah, I mean, I know I'm not talking about any particular job, but I know what it's like to be in a job and you wish you are doing something else or you think mm-hmm. you've missed out on something and sometimes we feel a bit of longing. And I know that's not a particularly healthy thing to feel sometimes, but I think it's part of the human condition. So, yeah, I, I think I, I draw a little bit on my military experience. You know, I wasn't in the front line. I was in public affairs, but I served with a lot of people who were on the front line. And um, and some of those are suffering, and so I've covered those sorts of issues in in recent books I've done about characters having post traumatic stress disorder. So it doesn't necessarily need to be things that you have have experienced yourself or suffered yourself. But you know, I think as we get older and and 
we learn, we can draw on things. I think it's a good thing for people wanting to write to to find that inner journal and to look around them and observe and, and look at the world around them, and not just the world around them, but the people around them and what makes them do the things that they do. It's all good stuff for, for writing. Now, you have also written and co-written a series, well, not a series, but a number of non-fiction books. Mm. Um, what makes you decide, because when you, re- when you write fiction, it's totally yours and you really enjoy it and it's something that you obviously find really interesting and exciting now that you've, you know, discovered pantsing and, and gotten rid of the idea that you have to plot everything. Yeah, but definitely. when you write a nonfiction book, it's a big commitment, um, obviously. I mean, writing any book is a big commitment, but what has to be in that story to engage you enough for you to make that commitment? Yeah, I I think it's probably where I I don't think having worked as a journalist helps that much in in writing fiction. I think Mm. it's good to observe and I think you develop a bit of an ear for dialogue. That's my take on having worked as a a journo. But I think when it comes to the nonfiction books, it's good to have a bit of a – it's good to have an eye for a story, you know, and – I've got the I've done six um, biographies, five here and one in South Africa, and it's like when you see or hear of that particular person who subsequently becomes a subject of a of a biography, you know straight away this is a book. Mm. Um, I got one of them uh, off Australian Story, you know that fantastic ABC documentary series. It's probably a book every week in that, but I looked at one. Episode and I thought, wow, I want to write this person's book, you know, and I pursued that person. And, and he had had some other people after him as well. Uh, so I think you know it. It's like when the hairs on the back of your neck um, stick up, or I get a little tingling in the fingertips. Mm-hmm. I used to get as a journal and I thought I had a good story. I wasn't a great reporter. I was no foot in the door person or investigative journalist, but I reckon I knew a good yarn when I, when I came across it. And it's something that's hard to quantify, but you – you just know this person's extraordinary. I did a book about an Aussie guy uh, who was working as a dog handler in Afghanistan way back in the early days of the war, a book called War Dogs. Mm. And uh, he was a very, uh, uh, when I say ordinary, I mean very down-to-earth um, guy, you know, very unpretentious. And he was a friend of a friend of mine. And I found out that he was an ex-Australian Army and New South Wales police dog handler who was working with the United States Army Special Forces, the Green Berets in Afghanistan as a dog handler because at the time they didn't have enough dog handlers. And here's this guy from Dapto in, in the south coast of New South yeah. Wales living this extraordinary life out in the wilds far more uh, in far more action than any Aussies were at that time. It, it subsequently changed. And I got in touch with him via email and I, I put it to him. I said, I've heard about you through a mate of mine, so I'd be really interested in chatting to you and maybe writing a book about you. He said, why would you want to write a book about me? I'm just doing my job. And when he said that, I said, this is the man whose book I want to write. <laughs> you know? yeah. Some gung-ho Rambo saying, yeah, look at me, I'm a killer. and all this kind of yeah. Just a normal Aussie bloke doing uh, his job in extraordinary circumstances. And that's a great premise for a novel. That's a great premise for any story. So, yeah, so- that's my yeah. With something like that, um, so that's War Dogs, and his name's Shane Bryant. That's right, what, yeah. what, what, um, what is the process then? Once you've agreed, yes, we're going to write the book. Um, do you just have hours and hours and hours of interview, or do you just do you hang out? What's your actual process of getting all of the information? Yeah, I've I've learned a fair bit about writing biographies over the years as well too. I, I do them completely different to the novels. So if I write by the seat of the pants and make it up for novels, I, I plot out a biography as meticulously as I'm capable of doing it. Um, so what I'll do is I'll sit down with the subject and I'll say, right, what I want you to do is make a list for me of the top 12 to 15 things that have happened in your life, the most exciting, the saddest, the happiest, the most momentous moments of your life. And they write down that and pretty well that becomes the chapter breakdown and the most exciting of those becomes the first chapter. Uh, I, for me, it's right. it's similar to journalism. It's like writing a feature story and it's the same sort of thing you do writing a feature story. Uh, it's just a bit longer, <laughs> about yes. 80,000 80, words. And what I've found over the years is um, there's a very good book, if anyone's interested, called Ghostwriting by a guy 
called Andrew Crofts, C-R-O-F-T-S, who's a British guy who's, who's done lots of ghostwriting gigs. And he, has, he, he sets out a very useful kind of point-by-point breakdown on what to do. A lot of his information I've followed. He has a formula, and it's a good formula. He says about 30 hours of face-to-face conversation or Skype or phone mm. with your subject will give you probably enough for about 80,000 words. And you know what? It's pretty well spot on. And uh, what I tend to do is I've tried um, taping people or, you know, recording them with a digital voice recorder and then transcribing and then going over that. Um, I find that's a bit laborious. So what I tend to do is as I'm, I'm pretty far, fast typist because it's all I've done over the last 30 years of my life, yeah. 30 years, uh, I, I sit down with my laptop and as I'm talking to the person I type and I'm, I'm typing very rough, roughly. Uh, but I'm kind of editing as I go. I'm, I'm picking what I think are the good bits and leaving out the not so good bits. And then I find the subject tends to, unlike me, they tend to slow down their pace of speaking. They become a little bit more deliberate and thoughtful about what they're saying because they think you're having to catch up typing. I'm, I'm taking everything down, but but I think self-editing at the time. So a couple of little tips there if anyone's interested in perhaps chronicling someone else's story. And I think you can capture someone's voice maybe a little bit better if you're face-to-face with them rather than transcribing or, or working yes. working off a transcript, you know, the way they modulate, the way they their turn of phrase. Um, but it's fascinating. It's very different to writing novels. I mean, I, I'd like to say that, you know, if, if writing novels is my passion and my dream, because it is, and it was the only thing I ever wanted to do in life, then for me, writing biographies is like the best day job in the world. So I'm working on another one right now. So the next You're time. working on another biography right now? Yeah, while trying to finish another novel. Yeah, so if you're doing that, how does that work? Like do you dedicate different days to to each and is the target also 1600 words for the biography or do you kind of go oh in the morning I'll do this and the afternoon I'll do this yeah good questions um what I'm doing is I've timed it so that I'm working on the biography while I'm doing my edit my first edit for my novel so I've kind of I got myself to the stage where I've finished the if you like the main creative process or the creative period of time novel so I got that first draft finished and as I do the edit which I can do you know when I'm traveling I'm promoting another book now so I can do it when I'm on planes and traveling around or whatever now I can devote a little bit more thought time to the biography as to the word count no I write as much as I possibly can whenever I can on the biography I've done 8,000 words a day on the biography I, I wrote about I've had a couple of I'm lucky you know the good thing with publishing is well it's a tough business to crack into but once you're in there, it does open up a lot of doors. So a couple of the biographies I've done, I've actually been commissioned by publishers yeah. to write them. And so I've been paid a fee to write the other person's biography. And I had to do one. I won't say which one, but I had to do one, which was a rush job. And I was able to do it in six weeks. That was hard. <gasps> <laughs> that was that was day and night. <laughs> so there's no 1,600 words a day when you're on a six-week deadline. Yes. So. Oh, my goodness. All right. So let's circle back to Ghosts of the Past. Tell me then, what was the most um, challenging thing about writing this novel, but also the most rewarding thing? Those are great questions. I'll tell you the most challenging thing about it is I've I've never – okay, I, I have written books, novels in the past that were based on real things that had happened to friends of mine quite traumatic things, particularly I wrote a book set in Zimbabwe and a lot of that's about people losing their farms, about people losing loved ones and things. And these are based on people's real-life experiences. When you're dealing with real-life material um, and ghosts of the past is a, is a true story, and it's a pretty horrendous story, what happened to this young guy, Edward Presgrave, who went off to fight this war on the side of this noble cause, the freedom fighters. In, in real life, he was uh, he was lured into a trap set up the germans and put a price on his head and he was killed in a very brutal fashion and and so i think i'm dealing with history and i I, i'm dealing with real life and as it turned out after writing the book we've me and peter curzon the guy who wrote the non-fiction book have come across one of the descendants of this guy so there's a there's i feel an enormous responsibility that's Mm. the challenge to 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 treat the story with respect because i've written what is you know, hopefully an enjoyable 
certainly not, I wouldn't say lighthearted, but enjoyable kind of, you know, thriller type read. But it's based on a real life story and, and some really momentous things that happened to this guy and, and, and of course his family had to deal with afterwards. So the challenging thing is to do that in a way I think that's sensitive and respectful mm. without, you know, being too out there and too too crazy. I think that it's also the most rewarding thing, the most enjoyable thing to take a, a real life story because I hope um, this young guy now becomes more than a one line reference mm. in the history of Namibia because, I mean, he, he's of the same vintage as, as Breaker Morant, mm. uh, kind of lionized and idolized in this country. Okay, now he got a rough trot, but um, this is a story that I've written, Ghosts of the Past, is based on a real life Aussie who gave his life for what, what truly was a noble cause and history is shown. And yet we know nothing about him, virtually nothing about him in Australia. No one, very few people would know, know his name. So I think that's one of the most rewarding things, challenging and rewarding, same thing. Mm. Maybe you'll be asked to write the miniseries. I hope so. Screenplay <laughs> for the miniseries. All right, so um, let's finish up with your top three writing tips for, you know, aspiring writers who hope to be in a position where you are one day, you know, get to travel the world, a billion books under their belt, a combination of fiction and non-fiction, not bad, living in a game reserve if they want to. <laughs> I think top three, probably from things I've learned along the way from the mistakes I made with that first book, just write what you want to write. Not what you think is going to sell or what you think publishers are going to like or what other people want to like. That's the worst thing you can do. Just be true to yourself and write what you, you, want, to, what you want to write. Great. Trust yourself. You, you'll know what works for you, how you're going to work best, whether it's in great blocks at a time or a routine over six days or whatever or whether you plot or whether you make it up. Just just trust yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. And And number three – You've got to love it. If, <laughs> I've always said, and, and I maintain this, if I'd never been published, I would, I would still be writing. I was always tinkering around. I was always writing. It's like, for me, I'm not a sporty person, but it's like running or swimming. You know, I, I'm never going to win any gold medals or win any races or anything like that, but I like running. I like swimming because I enjoy them. If you don't love this, if it's not fun, then, then go do something else. <laughs> so that's my top three. I think. Wonderful. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Tony. Thank you so much, Valerie. It's been a pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our self-paced course, Fiction Essentials Characters, takes one of the key components of any story and helps you develop not only the main players, but your entire cast of characters. You'll discover how to seamlessly merge plot and structure, create narrative tension, shape scenes, and create believable dialogue, all with strong characters that your readers can connect with. You can even start with just a character idea and nothing else, and this course will provide you with the steps and exercises to create your entire story idea. Equally, if you have a story that's in need of some original characters, you'll be able to build them here too. Plus, because this is one of our online self-paced courses, you'll enjoy instant access and can learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writercentercomau slash characters. That's writercentercomau slash characters. There you go, Tony Park. What a great interview. That was really, really interesting. Guys. I really enjoyed talking to Tony and he was mm. so generous with his information and, mm. you know, um, I think it's so fantastic you can have this career where you can write 16 books and, you know, combine it with writing nonfiction as well. Uh, it's just such a good, um, you know, body of work. All right. We're, com- we're almost at the end of this week's episode. What are you doing in the coming week, Al? Uh, what am I doing? I'm I'm writing. I'm still sort of doing that. I've got um, what have I got? I've got the CBCA Illawarra Literary Lunch, which I'm going to. Um, I'm just yeah. I'm you know Book Week is one of those things where it goes for. It actually like I've got some friends it re- literally goes six weeks for because they yes. have got back to back to back to back interview um, not interviews uh, school talks and things like that. Yeah. Um, but it's busy for all children's authors you know off and on. So um, mm. yeah, so I'm doing that. But I am actually just really trying to kind of get this book, this manuscript that I'm quite pleased with, mm. um, done. That's my main aim at this point. 
Yes, yes. What about um, you? What are you doing? Oh, I need to get through my inbox. I've actually got a bunch of odd. Interestingly, it must be because of Bookweek or something uh, coming up. Um, but I've got a bunch of emails from kids. <laughs> Have you? Yes. I think they're doing your course, Al, <laughs> the, kid, the Creative Writing Kids Quest. Right. Um, uh, which is, if you, if the listeners who don't know, is this fantastic course that Alison has created and there's a video from Alison every module, every week, and there's exercises every week and and at the end the kids have written an entire story which Alison gives feedback on and it's fantastic. And um I think it's a bunch of kids that started recently or I can only assume so. And um, they're just asking uh, and maybe their parents have said, this is how you find someone's email. (laughs) And they ask me questions like, is it okay if I write different chapters from different points of view and and stuff like that? That's me. I'm going to be answering their questions. (laughs) Okay. Go you. All right. Yes. Um, Where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And, of course, you'll find all of the show notes and links and resources to everything that you've heard on this podcast over at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.